This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 341, no, 334 for the week of January 15, 2019. (laughs) I am Rainbow Handprint David T. Cole, and I'm here with Novelty Atena, Sarah D. Bunting, Shade Throwing Fortune Teller, Tara Ariano, You're Gonna Die of Syphilis, and Race Baiting Double Entendre, Dan Rogie. Alien has two meanings. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ancient alien theorists say hello and welcome back to Extra Hot Great, uh, where we are joined once again by my fellow member of the Dave LaBarca All-Stars, Dan Rogge. Thank you. Um, Hi, guys. Dan, uh, as we peer into the mists of yesteryear, to television without pity, Dan ably covered uh, the original Roswell for us on that site. And now we are contemplating the reimagining Roswell, New Mexico. Um, I watched the pilot and found myself, I can't believe this is a sentence I'm about to say, Longing for the original. What? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I never thought I would be like, God, you know what this needs is more Sherry Appleby. But here we are in a post unreal world. Um, Hey, when you're at Applebee's, you're home. Wait, that's the wrong (laughs) question. Dan, as the resident um, Roswell Prime expert, how did you feel this stacked up against the non-storied original? Yeah, um, to Sarah's point, I was the recapper for the original run of Roswell for a site called Mighty Big TV back in the go-go 90s. So first of all, congrats to the three of you for making me watch this show now in three different decades. (laughs) (laughs) And I just could not agree with Sarah more. My initial response was the sentence, why are we doing this? I was like... (laughs) I know this had a cult following back in the day that even led to kind of fan campaigns, kept it from being canceled the first times around, but so did, like, Jericho, and we finally put that one to bed. Like, it just feels like it felt inessential to me after this. What did you guys think? I, this was the first any kind of iteration of Roswell I watched ever in my entire life. So after we watched the pilot of the remake, we went and watched the pilot of the original on Hulu, where I was shocked to learn a young Jason Kadams wrote it. What? Mm -hmm. Uh If you are not aware of this name, because Dave wasn't, this is also the showrunner of such actually good shows as Friday Night Lights and Parenthood and others that are not leaping to mind at the moment. Um, And he made this. And I, I mean, I didn't think that the remake was good, but I didn't think the original was good either it, more well, than it anything, wasn't i'm just saying i longed for it not that fair enough i mean I, should. I do appreciate that they carried through from the original like oh whoever plays max should be very bad at acting because both <laughs> of the maxes are the consistency the across universes and uh millennia was appreciated yes yeah that guy was totally a student of the joey Tribbion fart acting <laughs> But I, I thought Janine Mason as Liz in the remake is was the like she's the only thing that I remember about it, really. Like it immediately fell out of my head. And I know in 1999, 20 years ago, you guys 
20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it, our standards for what was an okay show were very different. And especially for shows that were like for children. And, you know, this, this version ages up the characters by 10 years. They're supposed to be 10 years out of high school. Whereas in the original, they were still in high school. Like that's an interesting choice. And I would imagine that there will be some cool stuff that happens with like Liz being a real biochemical, like professional researcher this time, as opposed to like a kid looking at slides in a lab in a high school. (laughs) But I mean, there's not a, there's not a lot here beyond, I will say what Dan hinted at in his, in his intro, which is, the double meaning of alien. Ooh, very timely. <laughs> and, and that's it. Like, I was thinking yeah. about this. So, like, about 10 years ago, there was a Broadway revival of West Side Story. Stick with me for a second. And the big change they made for that iteration of this very old play, this very old musical, was that when the sharks spoke to one another, they spoke in Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Puerto Rican gang, right. gotta got it. But yeah. the change always struck me as kind of this most basic, like, thought up at 4.59 p.m. on a Friday <laughs> idea. Like, we did it. It's upgraded. It's different. And we're current now. And, like, I got the same vibe here a little. Like, they backed into this idea of a new version of Roswell in 2018, 2019. Even though I think that those character names were in the original books that get, then got whitewashed by the WB run. Mm. But in this case, it just felt like they were so captivated by this notion of, like I said, did you know the word alien means two things to the point where it's the only <laughs> note that I remember at all. Yeah, I think that it's not impossible that they could go somewhere with this based pretty much solely on the 100, which I didn't even continue watching that, but. They, they did manage to do some like cool commentary about societies and, you know, like a Logan's run sort of reference that, I mean, it, it's not necessarily worth watching all on its own. And it was still, you know, a teen show at its core, but at least that sort of tried to maybe do something new. Like I just, this sort of reminds me of the conversations I've been having about the gazillion Dirty John properties lately. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that they're bad, but once you've read the articles or listened to the podcast, there's no, there's not a whole lot of purpose to the, to the other stuff. Like, Dirty John, the dirty truth. Like, what? <laughs> it, <laughs> what dirty yeah. truth? He sucked. He croaked. <laughs> We're done. So this, especially having seen the original and stuck with it most of the way through, again, I'm not saying it's good, but this just feels, this just feels extraneous and there's nothing like none of the changes that they made, um, addressed the very real problems with the original, namely (laughs) that Max couldn't act. And then, um, Michael is still a sulky, but. (laughs) <laughs> cool <laughs> why do we get like no wonder he couldn't get adopted you <laughs> asshole <laughs> like, Ooh, that's a very nature versus nurture argument that you brought up that we will not tackle yeah. <laughs> no. so says roswell super fan sarah d bunting also he's from space <laughs> i feel i feel like the central point is that you could show me the first episode of both series the one from 1999 and the one that aired yesterday and i would not know which the new one was i was like well the stories didn't feel upgraded the shooting didn't feel upgraded 
sets didn't feel upgraded. The acting was fine. I wasn't mad at them making the characters older, but even then, there still needs to be an aesthetic standard that I ask for from a current day <laughs> CW drama, and that standard <laughs> is called Riverdale Hot, and we yeah. didn't need it. <laughs> hard, uh, that hard agree. You are absolutely right, or rather soft agree, as the case may be. The big Ooh. difference between Roswell original rays, original uh, ray guns, and uh, nah, Roswell... Uh, comma new mexico does sort of like a vulcan mind meld thing where he shares his experiences and thoughts and feelings and in the original it's just sort of like a vulcan thing where he he touches her head but in the remake it's like the second base mind meld where he has to go under her shirt and over (laughs) her bra and that's the way he shares his thoughts and memories we assume i mean did he really share anything it was just an excuse to touch some boobs this is this is what we're reduced to discussing yeah. And also, the remake didn't have Riker in it. That's so, true. Yeah. We're sheriff porno. It. There was something. There, there was something hokey and dumb that sort of makes the original more tolerable, mm-hmm. but not good. Where the written the the remake is trying to be too earnest and serious, and sort of falls on his face because even though these characters are supposed to be ten years out of high school, they act like high school students. Like the yeah. The, Beyond the fact that they have professions that are age appropriate, kind of, they are basically still high school students as written. Mm -hmm. Um, The Maria character still needs to be put out on an ice floe. Oh, she was she was one of the other things I liked about it. I I appreciated that she was such a ride or die for for Liz. Um, For the little she got to do. Mm -hmm. Definitely, there was a much smaller part for this Maria than from the original one, for sure. Also. In the very opening of the remake, where we actually see the crash in in the field, we all know that crash was way way longer than that. the The actual debris field was much bigger. Come on, guys, do your research. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, we all know that. <laughs> also, why is all the alien technology sort of like rainbow glowy? It, it looked like a shitty bong from a headshot to me. Or like yeah. I said, this is this was like very reminiscent of Annihilation, sort of, but like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like shitty. It was shitty Annihilation. <laughs> the way I put it is that the prop designer for Roswell and the special effects guy had to do it like Annihilation, but they never saw it. They only had to explain by somebody who saw Annihilation. They're like, well, it's like this shimmer thing and it's all like rainbow colors, but it still looks sort of like organic in a way. And the best they could come up with was tie-dye art over metal. So. Yeah. But I'd like to back go back to the uh, the the parallel, the alien slash alien parallels, because I cut a couple of clips. So, Dave, can you please... Uh, before I'll just set it up, there's there's a character who could not have existed in the original, which is a podcaster who <laughs> records his podcast in Liz's dad's diner, because as we all know, that's what people love to listen to. Lots He's and lots the- of background noise. And people chewing. He's the David Silver of Roswell, New Mexico. Amazing. Yeah. Although it, t- on the New Mexico tip, it is the uh, one of the antagonists of Better Call Saul on Better Call Saul. So that's kind of funny. Anyway, please play clip one, Dave. I'm telling y'all, aliens are coming. And when they do, they're going to rape and murder and steal our jobs. And it reminded me of something. Dave, please play clip two. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems 
And they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Okay, first of all, I demand hazard pay for having to listen to any part of that speech to, like, find that clip. Fortunately, it's early on. That is, of course, infamously Donald Trump's speech announcing his candidacy for president. How'd that work out? Cough. Um, but I, I admire the the Roswell writers for Roswell, New Mexico writers for not appending the and some of them, I'm sure, are good aliens. <laughs> they could have. It's like the same. It's the same speech. And I know all racist speeches are kind of similar, but they really they really hit it on the nose. Though it reminded me that there was a tweet then around 2017 that said something like, if there's one good thing about this country right now, it's that if there were aliens, the president would have just fucking told us by now. And I'm like, mm, appropriate. It's true. <laughs> Sadly uh. true. But I w- with that said, I mean, I, I had a Tara, a, I'm not a crackpot speech back in 2016 or thereabouts a, a saying that I wished more shows in the run up to the election had done like positive propaganda on behalf of the ACA and like the ways that it's bad, but also the ways that it's like better than what we had before. And I feel like a lot of showrunners have gotten that message, but it's regarding immigration because there's definitely a lot more like textual storylines that are revolving around like this situation in this country and like why it's bad. (laughs) Whereas like probably not something that would have even been thought of before. And partly that's, you know, an effect of having more shows that have that actually have like immigrant and especially latino characters having anything to do at all ver- you know over multiple episodes as opposed to like coming in and meeting brandon walsh and telling him <laughs> how to dance at the community <laughs> center or whatever but i appreciate it like if this is something that you know is is important that people have exposed to them because a lot of people will never necessarily meet an undocumented person and don't know like why that is why it's scary what's all happening right, now. Tara, so i appreciate that yes i appreciate that and we all want you know when we have an immigration policy we all want everybody to send us their best and their brightest mm-hmm. but let's look at roswell new mexico what the universe has sent us they sent to this guy <laughs> max who becomes a police officer in roswell new yeah. mexico by the way Roswell is painted like this tiny little 10,000 population. I know. And, and it's like uh, this huge city. It's a, me- it's a medium-sized city, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so here's this guy. His name's Max. He's a police officer. He is a police officer who says once he just wants to do the right thing, but just hasn't actually done it. But more to the point, after he decides that he's going to show Liz that he's an alien and then take her back to this mine, this is what happens. He walks up to this mine. There is a very poorly nailed wooden plank over the entrance, which he was able just to lift off and put to the side. (laughs) They walk 20 feet maybe into this mine, and then there's these big alien birth orbs that are all glowing and (laughs) terrible special effects. It looks like something from 2001 via Under the Dome. (laughs) Okay, so let's put this in, in, in perspective. Roswell is ground zero for alien conspiracy nuts. There's not a piece of land in Roswell that hasn't been combed over by these people. Somebody would have found that mine. It is not concealed. It is not protected. And the definitive proof of alien life is 10 feet into the mine. (laughs) Come on, Max, get your shit together. (laughs) That's fair. This was a very average show. I I I would put it at the lower end of the cw remakes which as dave pointed out is like half of their schedule at this point (laughs) like 
Charmed was only okay, and this was less okay than Charmed to me. Dynasty, obviously the greatest, but yeah, oof. Not, not something I need to revisit after this, I feel. Right. And that's the thing that it's like, even by the CW standards of peak TV, like they mm-hmm. have one of the best shows on TV and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, like they yeah. can do it, like get in the damn game. Like, yeah. and can I just say, while we're talking about the worst elements of the show, just one really quick <laughs> word about dead sister Rosa's horrible taste in music. Because like, <laughs> and speaking of whitewashing, like the, uh, just having like the... Because, like, to your earlier point about being, like, well, we're just going to own, like, all of these, like, Latinx female characters, and then their favorite bands are Counting Crows and Third Eye Blind. That was, like, a definite (laughs) click. That's all. (laughs) It is time for Round the Dial. First stop, Tari Ariana. Um, I want to talk about Good Trouble, uh, which is a spinoff of The Fosters on Freeform, um, a show that had definitely story problems and blind spots, but which I generally liked a lot. And I watched all of it. Um, this spinoff revolves around Callie and Mariana, two, who are two of the show's best characters from The Fosters. Mariana had been kind of useless in the early going of The Fosters until the writers locked in on making her kind of a like STEM science genius which let them get into a lot of interesting stories about sexism in that area of study and interest and Callie was unfortunately subject to a very squicky storyline which kept getting resurrected revolving around her having a sexual relationship with her adoptive brother which no but also got a lot of stories about her activism on behalf of foster kids and criminal justice and stuff Um, and she had a long-term romantic relationship with a trans man who was actually played by a trans character which was you know good for them to do and fascinating to watch. So all of that was what made me hopeful about Good Trouble, which unfortunately, based on the evidence of the first two episodes, is very annoying, even relative to what was annoying about the Fosters sometimes. The Fosters had a big time jump in its series finale that let us skip all of the older kids' college years. So in Good Trouble, Callie is out of law school and Mariana is out of MIT and they're both starting their careers in Los Angeles. How that timing work out, works out is not clear. It seems like Callie is done law school, but Maria, anyway, they're only supposed to be a year apart, whatever. Moving on. Mariana's got a six-figure software engineering job and Callie's clerking for a judge. So we have some realistic stuff about the income disparity between them and the friction that that would cause. So good. And Callie being the poor one between them is the impetus for the two of them to move into a communal living housing situation in downtown L.A., And I'm sure that the writers thought that was a super smart pretext for all of these disparate young people in a variety of creative and social justice fields to have capital C conversations about capital I issues over their communal dinner table. But that is very transparent and very irritating. And the second episode is about a party at the loft where Callie gets an emergency call about a high profile case that's on her judge's docket, which she doesn't get because Mariana has talked her into getting drunk because she deserves a break. And then Mariana hides her phone from her so she can continue having fun, which no one in Mariana's position would do to a friend. Never mind her sister. It's very contrived and very dumb. And I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that the show mentioned the show's co-option of Representative John Lewis's trademark phrase, good trouble to describe his 50 years of civil rights activism and looks extremely idiotic when overlaid on the battle between Mariana and her sexist co-workers to own each other with boob and bare chest shots in a shared assets folder, plus which 
it's free form, so they can't be dick pics, which they obviously would be in real life. Just saying. Um, if you super <laughs> love the Fosters, you will like Good Trouble. If you hate watch the Fosters, you will definitely love to hate watch Good Trouble because everything that was bad about the Fosters is like super magnified here. And I personally will probably watch one more, even though I'm somewhat in between those two points on the spectrum, meaning that it's a very C minus show and therefore expendable at this point in TV history for me, which was a bummer because I was really optimistic about it. Good trouble. Bad show. I don't have anything to plug this week because Sarah and I uh, (laughs) recorded a podcast for someone else that uh, went poof. So instead, I will plug a podcast that I have been enjoying that I have nothing to do with called The Dream. It's um, uh, from Slate, I believe. Um, Jane Marie, formerly of This American Life, has done this multi-part episode, uh, show about multi-level marketing schemes, which is something of you know, living in the world I am aware of, but nothing that I've come up against or thank God no one that I know as far as I know is trying to sell essential oils. But uh, <laughs> learning how the process works and they really get into it is super duper interesting. So check that out. The Dream. Dan, 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 Dan. Woo. So I had originally written up something to finally rant about the movie Roma, not the movie itself, just that a lot of film people had patronizingly told me that I couldn't pay attention to it on TV because it was quiet. Like, how dumb do you think I am? But (laughs) I really instead wanted to point to something that got me through a hard recent time. I was just on maternity leave. And while unable to reach the remote due to a large person sleeping on top of me, I watched 25 consecutive episode of Adam Ruins Everything. It originally aired on True TV, which is a um, network, but I caught it on Netflix. And it's basically just host comedian Adam Conover, who's kind of owning his brand as a white mansplaining man to dispel myths about everything from car dealerships to Hollywood, using sketches, animations, and a passel of guest stars from Darcy Carden to Rachel Bloom to his actual dad. Um, I love a know-it-all, and this is a very cute and clever and funny show that now I can tell people how to feel when they use the word jaywalking, and I can tell them that they have basically just used a racial slur. Um, Oh, interesting. And for my plug, my old friend, songwriter, and fellow former Television Without Pity writer Tracy Potochnik and partner in our first podcast, Monica the Podcast, double plug, Tracy and I collaborated with the fine folks at Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs for a spinoff honoring the song stylings of the Real Housewives called Money Can't Buy You Podcast, (laughs) in which we fashioned folk covers of Housewives vanity singles by fine artists Countess Luann, Kim Zolziak, Erica Jane, and someone whose identity I'll protect and I'll protect us from by referring to her just as D. Staub. Um, Nothing was more fun than hearing a hungover Sarah analyze Erica Jane's hidden emotional vulnerabilities and Danielle S.'s blatant mental illness. A great time was had by all. That was uh, Money Can't Buy You podcast, part of the Mastis Empire, wherever fine podcasts are found. Sarah D. Bunting. I am here to talk about True Detective. Um, I look forward to being interrupted multiple times by Dave's stash of sound drops from uh, the first <laughs> two seasons of the show. <clears throat> Season three um, dropped the first two episodes, I think, premiered yeah. yes. on uh, last Sunday. And um, I guess it's a return to form. Uh, I was taken aback by the fact that um, I'm sitting through the opening credits 
which I will do for like any premiere and finale. It's like, I don't know, a weird manners thing where I feel like I need to just sit. It's like the national anthem for me. <laughs> like if premieres and finales, I will sit through it. And as the final um, title card came up, it said it was written by Nick. Take one thing off and then three more things and then resign Pizzolatto. <laughs> so that gave me some pause. Uh, but as of the first two episodes, I feel like um, it is very much like the first season um, in good ways. Uh, like the palimpsest of three different timelines. They're excellent actors. It's a plus production design across all of the different times. But it's also like the first two seasons in bad ways. Um, the 2015 timelines leverage of uh, lead characters dementia is both a little too real and at the same time, a little too stylized. Um, that's maybe the thing that Pizzolatto should have taken off before he left the house. Season two seemed also like it was probably okay or going to be okay in the early going. So I am hesitant to declare that the show has climbed out of the shitter, but I am cautiously optimistic and I think it's only eight episodes. So you know, I can I can hang on. Uh, did any of you watch it or no? No, I saw the reviews from the people that watched the, the first five episodes that were provided to critics that all of them were saying, like, it's it's fine. But shrug like Willa Paskin's uh, description of it was if this had been it like if it, if this were happening Basically, if there hadn't been a true detective season one, she would not be reviewing true detective season three. Like if they had right. never existed, you know what I mean? Like in the in the landscape of what is, you know, deemed to be important or whatever noteworthy TV, like for her, it just didn't it didn't register. And like it seemed so I was like, eh, I, tr I trust that judgment. I'm going to pass. I, I don't think uh, Mahershala Ali is going to lack for work if we don't <laughs> support him in this endeavor. <laughs> He is very good in it, though. For my plug, Mastass Prime, Mark and Sarah talk about songs. We'll be talking about um, the husband of an artist that Dan Rogie and I have been to see in concert together. I'm going to say <laughs> conservatively six times. I think I went one of those times with you. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, that is one Michael Penn. We'll be talking about his one top 100 hit, No Myth. Uh, and that will be out as you're listening to this tomorrow. That's Mark and Sarah talk about songs and you can find uh money can't buy you podcast episodes in the very same feed as Mark and Sarah talk about songs. If you ever bully or hurt anybody again, I'll come back and butt fuck your father with your mom's headless corpse on this goddamn lawn. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, building off Roswell, New Mexico, we watched the new history, air quotes, premiere series, Project <laughs> Blue Book. Of course, Project Blue Book was sort of like the first government inquiry into UFOs. The series posits that it was all sort of, you know, baked in and it was never supposed to actually show anything. And that's like the conspiracy uh, that we see in the pilot where the military hires Littlefinger from Game of Thrones to sort of be the scientific uh, advisor when they get UFO reports. Yeah, we should say it's a scripted show. It's not a it's not the usual history fair. Yeah, it's a Robert Zemeckis produced entity. 
And basically this show is the background information they give you on ancient aliens before they tell you the truth of the matter. <laughs> so this is just sort of like the, you have the motions. There was a plane that heard a radio broadcast from halfway across the U.S. and some strange things happened and there was some lights. But then we don't discover what the lights mean. We don't know that the lights were actually UFOs searching for gold to power their pyramid radios in <laughs> Egypt and Central America. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we're interested in. This is just like background noise to ancient aliens. So you don't need to watch this. You just need to watch an ancient aliens, guys. And that way yeah. you get the whole picture, the balanced picture. <laughs> I was really kind of hopeful this would be fun. Dave, did we, um, did we, did, will Dave hate this? Yes. We did. This? Yes. And what did we say? Do you remember? I think I said it was a 50-50 because of the History Channel, you know, just their track record of sometimes doing good with these premiere series and sometimes blowing it. And this one was just like, it wasn't actively terrible. It was just, wasn't engaging in the way a show about alien conspiracy should be. And, you know, like when you got something where you start there and your show is sort of like, oh my God, this is so boring. And like evil McBlue Eyes, um, Neil McDonough is like the evil <laughs> military general who's disappearing people that are involved in UFO sightings. It's just like it's it's really rote. It's like it feels like something that probably should have been made about 15 years ago in order to actually compete in the marketplace. Just as to give you an idea of how under the radar this is, one of the stories that was seeded to the press like last week to get people hyped for this was like, Neil McDonough won't kiss any wife on screen or any woman on screen who isn't his wife. Like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> Both human and not his wife. That's the real story. <laughs> We're through the looking glass here, people. Um, I have other another note, which is a follow-up on last week about the masked singer. Because we were talking about that we had seen the second episode. You couldn't really talk about it. I just want to say that I was wrong about everything. I was really convinced I had Ric Flair as the Tommy Chong thing just because it kind of lined up he had like a health scare he's back blah 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 but i guess it, that didn't work it was probably in my head because i had watched that nature boy doc and credit to our guest cat angus because she nailed it she did she, nail it. she emailed us tommy chong and yeah. she was right yeah she was totally right so well done cat and uh i am bad at pop culture AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. 
Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. This uh, extra credit, I've called it Pack Your Wives and Go, ha ha, <laughs> comes from John Potsy Potts, a frequent Potts. game time creator. And he writes, the EHG team is invited slash forced to compete against each other on a reality show. Which show would you choose and who would win? I'll go first. I think we've had this question before as a mini, but it was too far back for me to remember. So I think it's okay to do it again. And for me to say... I think it was while Joe was a regular still. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I will say, as I'm sure I did then, my show would be Big Brother. Uh, other than one stupid game every couple of days, uh, this is a show where you sit around inside. Uh, and since no one is better at doing that than I am, of course I would win. Duh. And before you say, no, you would go crazy without access to TV, you are forgetting I'm also great at sleeping. Dan. Uh, <laughs> this season on nailed it it's time ah! to ask will dave bake this and ah! also <laughs> and also tara and sarah as you'll be competing in the most self-referential game of all time to see who can replicate the following first the wedding cake from the dawson's creek episode where the ice house starts catering <laughs> weddings followed by a cake inspired by the season 10 episode of 90210 entitled let's eat cake where the gang throws a surprise party for david at the after dark a particular challenge considering I don't remember that the episode contains an actual cake, though you guys probably do. We're about the, to find out. The goal here is not to crown a winner between the three of you, but instead having y'all chop it up with Nicole Byer until she agrees to appear on the podcast, making the winner us, the extra hot great audience, and America. Oh my god, I love it. Sarah. Um, okay, so I'm going to lead with my honorable mention because I also had nailed it. We'll get back to it. Um, but my honorable mention was for all of us to go unmarried at first sight. <laughs> um, it would literally kill Dave. He would be annoyed to death, so we can't do it. Um, I want Tara and I to sneak off at like the group dates where they all hang out and talk shit about how great their marriages are going, except they're not. <laughs> And just frantically write our book about the experience on the notes app, like in the ladies room. <laughs> um, but I decided instead to keep it friendly slash slightly less insane slash not kill Dave. And we can all go on. Nailed it. I uh, just thought that we would all laugh a lot. And I suck at baking. So perfect. And I do believe that Tara would win again because uh, her Rice crispy Treat topiary in the shape of Neve Shulman would win by a landslide. <laughs> Dave. Oh, All right. So many Jimmies and his, make his hair, his chest hair. Sorry, Dave. Go ahead. <laughs> Toasted coconut. So this is not a uh, competitive reality show, but there will be a winner as the extra hot great gang dies one by one on Frontier House. <laughs> <laughs> Day one, Tara jumps off a barn roof to save herself from a life without TV, Grubhub, and nail salons. <laughs> True. Day eight, Dan Rogie, having been getting by by busking on the street, is mobbed when he switches from folk standards to the risque lyrics of Captain Jack by one William Joel. 
<laughs> Day 17, I am killed on a fallow cornfield after trying and failing to recreate the cars playing soccer video game Rocket League with local livestock. And finally, on day 433, Sarah Bunting dies of period-appropriate old age. <laughs> everybody it's time for the canon dan rogie is submitting this week take it away dan so somewhere in an entertainment fever dream i once had three actresses all emmy winners and one oscar nominee starred in a television show together in this fever dream it was laurie metcalf alex borstein and the incomparable niecy nash starring in a workplace pitch black comedy that ran for three seasons on a network that you have or whose login you have borrowed, which means you can watch it literally anytime you want. Well, dear reader, it turns out that fever dream was true. The show is called Getting On, and it ran from 2013 to 2015 during one of many peak TV iterations of HBO. And so for this installment of the canon, I am submitting season three, episode one of Getting On. This is about the vomit, people. That's the title. An <laughs> episode that I am submitting to the canon despite it thoroughly violating my number one cardinal television watching rule, that being we should never, ever, ever be seeing anyone vomiting on camera <laughs> under any circumstances. I am not a crackpot. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so despite the fact that the show garnered three Emmy nominations, two for Nisi Nash and one for Laurie Metcalf, the fact that it was not showered in awards veep style feels a little like an oversight, a this had Emmy buzz glitch in the Matrix, to <laughs> paraphrase our friend Joe Reed. But I think the reason the show was not kind of fetid like veep or recognized for its role in the cultural zeitgeist like Silicon Valley or Tara's beloved girls or even given <laughs> cult status like Enlightened. And this is because this supposed comedy, a UK adaptation about Doctors, nurses, and patients in an extended care ward of a Southern California hospital is grim. When I was choosing which episode I wanted to submit for the canon, I actually went back and rewatched the entire series. Oh, wow. Only 18 episodes, and they're 30 minutes long. And it turns out that it is even grimmer, grittier, more densely packed, more fluid-filled, and somehow even more melancholy than I had remembered. For a comedy set in a hospital, it definitely isn't Scrubs, and it probably has fewer jokes than House. So, Laurie Metcalf um, plays Dr. Jenna James, who at the beginning of the series was basically sentenced to work in the extended care unit. It's like the <laughs> least desirable job in the entire hospital, with the possible exception of the nurses who work under her, Alex Borstein's Dawn and DC Nash's Dee Dee. When we rejoin the crew at the top of season three, we have come off a season two finale where the Billy Barnes extended care unit has almost gotten shut down as a result of Lori Metcalf's Dr. James getting caught up in a Medicare scam that almost got the whole hospital shut down. But instead of her losing her job, she's forced to attend online ethics training, which she alternately fusses, deep sighs, eats, and sleeps through. And I will say that Lori Metcalf's commitment to this character is Daniel Day-Lewis levels of method, <laughs> and this charmless doctor character is basically Michael Scott with even less charisma, oh as God. evidenced by her first interaction of the season with Nurse Dawn in clip one. Hello, hello. 
Oh, good morning, Dr. James. I thought you had your ethics seminar until noon. Finished early. Truthfully, Dawn, all those ethical issues are fascinating, but nothing I've not considered before. Every day we drive to work. Should we go first or do we wait for the pedestrians? Or like this zinger fest with a patient soon after that in a slightly longer clip too. Uh, this is Deborah Mister. Thank you, Dawn. Good morning, Mrs. Mister. Is there a Mister Mister? Yes. Deborah is recovering from complications from an abdominal hysterectomy, a hemorrhaging in the vaginal cuff. Post-op remainder of your vaginal vault. Uh, post-hysterectomy cuff cellulitis and a pelvic abscess. Fancy talk for bacterial infection. A fever, abdominal pain. Yes, it's very painful. Well, I'm a specialist in this area, and my research has come to fruition with a very exciting partnership with a very prestigious pharmaceutical company. This is my potentially groundbreaking vaginal cream with Barbet Pharmaceuticals, currently in a phase two trial, which I'm hoping you will become a very important part of. What makes it different from all the other vaginal creams presently on the market, you ask? I introduced tiny time-release cellulite moisturizing balls. And the skins of the balls are natural cellulose produced from a sustainable monocrop. Feel the balls. So we're also testing the Barbet anal horn used to evacuate an impacted bowel. And once inserted and firmly in place, the distinguishing hand pump inflates the old ring for a tight seal. It's probably of more importance to us, the practitioners, right, Don? But if that pops while it's inside you, that's not dangerous. However, it could be a little bit shocking. So that scenario continues to escalate. And Dr. James is not immoral. And even though it could seem a bit dicey that she's coming off of an ethics scandal by immediately trying to peddle vaginal cream to elderly patients um, through a giant pharmaceutical conglomerate, the origin here is that she actually does have a passion for medicine that leads her to look for medical advancement in such schemes, whether it be her sincere quest to add new varieties of poo to a medically sanctioned stool chart back in season one, or help her patients through the latest advancements in vaginal cream and anal horns, as she does now. But Dr. James's always elegant attempts at small talk are soon interrupted by the arrival of a new character, a dashing New Zealand doctor who Dr. James quickly comes to discover is coming to take her job after the ethics lapses of last year. In this clip, Dr. James meets the new doctor, and when she finds out that he is there to take her job, she goes full George Glass on him and makes up a fake name to throw him off the trail in clip three. Hello. I'd say you look a little bit lost. You're right, I think I am. I'm looking for administration. An Aussie or Kiwi, either way, part of the Commonwealth, which we, of course, are not. Kiwi. I'm visiting, first day. Oh, which explains that. Explains what? The look of fresh enthusiasm. Jet lag. I was in Tegucigalpa until my flight last night. Dr. Ron Rudd, and you are? Well, no one who's been to Honduras, that's for sure. No, I'm just a humdrum doctor with her nose to the grindstone. Dr. Research with a soupçon of ennui. Well, I wouldn't say that. You know the location of Tegucigalpa. And Honduras is not as exotic as it is my belief that everyone in the world has a right to medical care, an ethical human right. Ethical right. I, too, am a keen student of medical ethics. Well, as a friendly native, I can certainly show you to administrations. What brings you to Mount Balls? An internship in long-term care. Long-term care? Yes. Billy Barnes? They brought me in to run the department. From what I gather, they had some pretty big ethical and moral issues a few months back, coincidentally. 
unscrupulous admissions in a hospice program. Dr. Minnie. Minnie? Marsha. Dr. Minnie Marsha? Yeah. Uh, would you excuse me a moment, Minnie? With which Dr. James runs headlong out a back door while the handsome doctor's back is turned. Not to worry, though, Dr. James in the race to the bottom for who is actually bad people here. No one in the history of hospitals or perhaps the human race is worse than head nurse Patsy de la Serta, a genuinely creepy, sometimes gay, manipulator of the weak-willed, especially when it comes to his ex-girlfriend Dawn. Dawn comes back to this season a married woman, having escaped the clutches of her earlier very dysfunctional relationship with Patsy by randomly marrying a security guard she barely knows. Dee Dee, meanwhile, is just trying to do her job as always, scrounging for supplies, doing social justice work on behalf of the many unions crisscrossing the staff, and trying to keep out of the drama between Patsy and Dawn— and for this joke, you'll need to know that when Patsy and Don were together, Patsy had a very strong preference for their lovemaking positions, as implied in clip four. We got a problem with uh, Dr. James' vaginal cream trials. The supposed to be a vaginal suppositories, but there's seepage oozing out of Miss Bates behind. What's the problem? Uh, you administered the well wet suppositories for Dr. James's phase two trials? Yes, I did. Pats their vaginal suppositories and you put it up their rectums. Thought we understood the difference now. <laughs> but despite everyone focusing on their own selfish personal circumstances, the fact is that this episode is indeed about the vomit. The ward begins to stink, not out of a metaphorical ethical sickness, but from an actual pile of human puke that no one will claim and no one will clean up. Due to a mix of entitlement, laziness, selfishness, and intersecting union tensions I hoped would curry favor with Tara's socialist tendencies. Thank you. All of which comes to a head <laughs> all of which comes to a head in clip five. Okay, well, we have a document. AHW members have no contractual obligation to handle any materials containing bodily fluids such as urine, saliva, sweat, feces, vomit. Or semen. So that just, that seems open and shut to me. That was between you and the hospital. That has nothing to do with us. It has been determined that the Ebola virus can survive on fluids and surfaces for several days and that people can be infected thereafter. What, what does that have to do with anything? You tell me. That vomit does not contain Ebola. How you know that? You don't know that? We're in a situation where we all face the same thing. I mean, like wheelchairs. Sometimes it takes me 15 minutes just to find a wheelchair. Why? Because oncology is taking them from ortho, ortho from med surge, med surge from the welcome desk, and y'all know everybody's stealing from us. This is about vomit, people. That's how you do it. The quietest line in the scene might be the loudest joke in the episode, and it is I saw you do it, in which the nurse standing next to Nurse Patsy whispers to just him that she saw him vomit and walk away, one line of truth that would have kept this entire mess from unfolding had any one person in this episode taken responsibility for his <laughs> or her actions. Now, there is a scene of actual physical comedy where Dr. James and the hospice goon who got her into this uh, ethical mess in the first place hide in a bathroom stall together while exchanging sensitive information. And there is a real moment of catharsis at the end where Dr. James finally gets vindication with her boss, a rare moment of success on this show that, as I said, can feel pretty sad among the jokes. 
I find this show to be very dense. It crams a lot of storylines into 30 minutes, more than I can scratch the surface of. I don't even have time to get into Dr. James's video robot, Nurse <laughs> Dee Dee's near verbatim recitation of the 1934 film Imitation of Life, or, oh yeah, the fact that Dawn is revealed at the end of the season premiere to be in full kidney failure, requiring her to get on dialysis or risk immediate death, which, by the way, is the best thing that happens to Dawn in the entire episode. <laughs> in all three seasons of Getting On, the show proved itself sometimes more well-written than it was funny, and if that's true, it is also not a slam. It's an amazing acting showcase for completists of any of these incredible performers, and it's acting, writing, and the fact that it's been hiding in plain sight in a cul-de-sac of the HBO comedy universe for years is why I hope you will consider Getting On, episode 301, for the extra hot great canon. Tara, do you want to start us off? Sure, I'll go first. I I, um, I watched the premiere of this show and I never went back to it, even though I thought there was good stuff in it. And I think the case that you make really elucidates why I need to go back and revisit it, because, wow, this this is the this is the satire of for profit healthcare that, you know, should still be going on because it's still completely monstrous. And the fact that it's set in the world of geriatric care is especially, I mean, not an accident, but also like really pointed because, you know, it says in the in the previously that lead into this episode, but like this is a, this is a sieve that just ble- it bleeds money. This is a this is a, an area of healthcare where no one is getting rich, which is a, presumably what led to this hospice scam, which, you know, despite it having happened before the events of this episode that we see, it's it's spelled out very clearly what they did and why it's bad. And like Medicare scams are endemic. Like this is the problem with the system. There's a huge amount of waste. Like I won't get into it, but like there's there's this is a really it's amazing how much they do in just 30 minutes. And you're so right about all of the performers. I might think that Alex Borstein is like being really underserved by the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, despite her Emmy for it, but like she's she's great here. Obviously, Niecy Dash is great here because she can't not be Laurie Metcalf, like Michael Michael Scott without the charm or charisma. Like, yeah. ah, it's so true. It's so painful to watch. Like, this is a super duper cringy show, and the fact that it's like cringe plus real life, extremely depressing life and death stakes, like. This is not an easy watch, but like it's it's so well made and well assembled, and like the 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 payoff with the fact that I'm even calling it a payoff. What else can you call it? Like the re- the resolution of the ro- remote robot, um, you know, in house care storyline is I, like I just I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like I couldn't believe this is ha- had happened in a show. Um, I won't spoil it in case anyone is going to watch, go and watch this episode, which you should. This is this was an excellent case. I I I, t- I totally get it. I mean, as I said, having bailed after the pilot, this definitely brought me back on board. And like, I, I think you make an excellent argument for w- what makes this show so special. So thank you, Sarah. Um, I tried to resist this show. Um, vomit is in the title of the episode, and then immediately <laughs> there's vomiting. Who is a bigger emetophobe than Dan? This guy. (laughs) Which I'm sure Dan knows. Calculated risk. So it just, it was like, okay, it's, you know, it's Metcalf. It's Niecy Nash. um, It's Dave from Election. Um, It's the, like, the set design. Like, the 
the little touches that they put in the um these uh seniors rooms and like that the robot has like scrubs draped over its torso (laughs) like it's like it's hanging at a a dry cleaner's rack you know as it revolves around and then it's just oh god and then the little um you know uh short circuit like tracks that it's trying to run on oh god and yes that payoff is uh grim um the her sort of pitch of the the anal horn which is like she won't stop selling it and it's like i don't think the patient has a choice and it just doesn't stop and then there's the word leakage and it's like i have to respect how um deeply and realistically off-putting this is about certain aspects of the end of life journey uh dawn is a perfectly realized character she is that perfect uh mix of co-worker like cheery and shitty and you can't decide from minute to minute whether you want to <laughs> slap her or give her a hug um or both like give her a hug while flicking her in the back of the head Even the lighting is just like, it's relentless. Like everyone is just so beige. Like even Nisi Nash's skin looks like shit. She is always radiant every second. Not on the show. Mm. Um, But where I finally just was like, fine show. uh, Was when they're having a like joint union meeting in some kind of supply closet. And someone who is paying literally zero attention to anything except whether a doctor is coming goes doctor and everybody ducks <laughs> they continue talking and then they all pop back up again in unison i was like i would i would like to strike a blow for having to look repeatedly at those ps also very realistic chunks on the ground but i cannot because this is a great episode of tv dave one more thing before Dave starts. Sorry, that just reminded me. This is the only time I've ever seen a therapy dog, and even the ther- it, that depressed me. Like, not yes. even the therapy dog can relieve the the dollar of what you're saying. Okay, sorry, Dave. Proceed. Yes. I was going to mention the dog who eventually solves the problem by eating the vomit off the floor. I thought of you, Sarah, and then in this moment. delivers the metaphorical slap that I was yeah. just talking about. <laughs> um, oh. Unlike Tara and Sarah. I am just here because I am the producer and I like to hear myself talk. I am not a TV critic, so I don't feel the need <laughs> to be completist about what's out there. I have no TV FOMO. Honestly, didn't even hear about the show until Dan brought it up. I had no idea it existed. Dan describing it as, you know, in the HBO cul-de-sac is spot on. This was a discovery for me, for sure. Everything about the show feels like it shouldn't work. The depressing subject matter, how dour everything is. They even color grade the film. They desaturate the hell out of everything. Like they're going out of their way to make this kind of a downer. But then they sort of build up layers over that idiosyncratic people that are not really caricatures. You know, they seem to exist in a real world TV show hybrid, you know, somewhere in the middle. That's not like too forced. But the real reason that... I like this that nobody else has said so far. I think there's value in a show like this, especially right now, the value of an unbingeable quality TV show. <laughs> One that you can't watch multiple episodes in a row 
but is still enjoyable to watch as a quality television output. Mm-hmm. I really like this episode. It took me kind of by surprise at what it was doing and the performances in it. But then I was like, that was great. I really want to pick this show up. We're always looking for new shows to watch at night. And this was a show that I would definitely only want to watch one of a day. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's so few shows like that. Like, I feel like this yeah. could have been their mission statement when they started. It's like, how could we get people to actually watch this show on a TV schedule for real? At the start, you know, because we're coming into this at the beginning of the third season, I didn't really have a handle on what Laurie Metcalf's character was supposed to be. Uh, eventually, you do realize, as Dan was saying, it's like a Michael Scott type of character. But the moment that really sold me on her is how she powers through terrible joke delivery in a scene that happens just after they first put eyes on the Kiwi doctor. Who is that very distinguished looking tall glass of water? I don't know. Wouldn't throw him out of bed for eating crackers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> she goes back for seconds. Like the first one didn't didn't work and she has to like, you know, try to save it, but even she's, you know, she knows. She knows. So, well done Dan for uh, introducing this to me. Yes. So, with that, let's put this to the official vote. Tari Ariano. Yay. Sarah D. Bunting. Don't do this again with the barf, but yes. <laughs> Agreed in all accounts. <laughs> All right, that means getting on Season 3, Episode 1. This is all about vomit, people. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Canon. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It is time for Winner and a Loser of the Week. Tara has a winner. Very timely in the Cole Ariano household, The Villainous is getting adapted as an American TV series. Dave and I literally just watched this last week. I think that they were, you know, doing metrics and we were mm-hmm. the view that made yeah. this deal uh, happen. They were waiting for it. They had for sure. 999,999. And we're like, <laughs> sure, let's give The Villainous a shot. Boom, TV show. You're welcome, universe. The movie is really good. It's uh, it's Korean. It came out in 2017. It It's... Uh, it, it's it's hard to describe without going into it, but it's like it's an another elaborate... one of those long planned Korean revenge films. But this yes. one's a little more sort of violent and direct. Yeah, it's like um, it's like, you know, one of the Park Chan-wook, you know, vengeance seeks uh, trilogy movies times the raid. If you saw that, yeah. it's like super duper violent. It opens with a, a like a, a completely I mean, just jaw-dropping, bravura, like, multi-minute action sequence where a character just, like, lays fucking waste to dozens and dozens of guys. It's amazing. It's like if that Daredevil Hall scene was triple Mm -hmm. the length, first person, and he had knives. Yeah. yeah. And you you're like following people as they fall out windows and stuff. Like it's 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 uh it's really good and it's yeah, peep show style first person camera. Anyway, the reason that this is the winner of the week is because getting adapted as an American TV series um 
Robert Kirkman's production company is making it. There isn't a network attached yet. And at first I was like, oh, as a series? I don't know. But like there is probably enough mythology even oh, for yeah. a you know a two-hour movie that they can blow this out. And I am interested to see what they do with it. The character is still going to be um, of Cor- like Korean but grew up in the U.S. So it's not going to be one of those things where it all gets whitewashed. Right. So that's good. There's totally enough there because like there's a whole organization that is like creating these sleeper cell soldiers and stuff and they're just a whole harry potter-esque violent school for like killing wizards yes there's like assassin hogwarts yeah so yeah you almost could make like an anthology show where like each episode is about a different student and like what got them there and stuff anyway the movie is great it's on itunes you can rent it and i absolutely recommend that you do and yay for it being a tv show which i will watch loser of the week oh um, music journalist Torre, uh, last scene on surviving R. Kelly, where I thought he was an excellent, evocative commentator who made many um, elastic ick faces in response to R. Kelly's R. Kelly-ness, um, has himself been accused of sexual harassment in response to which Terry Crews immediately canceled a scheduled appearance on Torre's show. So yay, Terry. Boo, Torre. Uh, Tara, you had um, you had ancillary material. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. Crazy timing, because I also listened to speaking of great podcasts that have nothing to do with the citations needed podcast, which is about, um, you know, publishing PR and the history of bullshit. It's like a media criticism Mm -hmm. podcast. And so they had him on to kind of rebut a previous Uh, episode they did kind of pointing out all the many blind spots of msnbc's editorial decision making and first of all he was bad and second they dropped they dropped that episode like last wednesday which is i think the day before the story hit so yikes speaking about things that make you go yikes you know what time it is (laughs) what time is it tara it's non-regulation game time This is a non-regulation game time, as longtime listeners know, after at the end of a regulation game time season, uh, which just happened last week, the triumph for the valued guests, we do a non-regulation game time so that Dave can play. Yeah, thank you so much. You guys are good super friends. (laughs) (laughs) This game is called Ha Ha Hams. So among the many things we know about my crush object and yours, Jonathan John Ham is that my man loves to pop up in a TV comedy show, something he does so much that I have collected clips from 18 such appearances plus a tiebreaker. And I did not exhaust the category. By the way, if I ever do this with sports themed John Ham rolls, I will, of course, call it stretching that hammy. Romantic John Ham rolls moon over my hammy, but I digress. Oh, Lord. Here's the game. I will play you a clip, or rather, Dave will play it, a clip from a comedic TV show in which John Ham appeared. If you can tell me the show based on the clip alone, that's two points. If you need a hint, I'll give you the network that the show was on. Then it's worth one point. And because this might be hard for people who are not devoted ham sandwiches, just made that up like your game time (laughs) author. I'm going to go easy on you in the following ways. First, if you guess off just the clip uh, and get it wrong, I'll still give you the network anyway and let you try for the show title. So free guess after the clip. No reason to not guess after the clip, in other words. And once the show has been named either by you or me, if you can give me one 
co-star from the show that is worth a bonus point. So possible three points per question. Okay. I can keep score. Uh, some of the shows are series. Some are specials. No show is in the game more than once. Um, some of these appearances were cameos. Some were a recurring guest role. And some of these he's playing characters. Some he's playing, quote, himself. Uh, and it would be very easy for you all to pull up John Hamm's IMDb profile and make reasonable guesses off that. But I trust you all not to do that and to respect <laughs> the sanctity of this non-regulation game time. And also, since it's non-regulation game time, I assume we can dispense with steel meals. Okay, let's throw it to Picky to see who goes first. We will start with Sarah and then the valued guest. Sarah, Dan, Dave. Let us begin. Dave, please play clip one. I run a company called Absolute Last Call. And it's probably what you're thinking, which is a intimate, uh, erotic conversations with um, older, like g geriatric, um, elderly women. That's not at all what I thought it was. <laughs> um, uh, the comeback? Mm. Eh, that is not correct. I'll give you the network. The network is Showtime. Mm. Oh. Uh, yeah. um, uh, uh, episodes? I don't know what the, where that was. Eh. Mm. Web therapy. Yeah. Oh. You were but close. it sounds you like you close. can. Yeah. You work. It sounds like you can give me one co-star though. Um, that was Kudrow, right? Yep, correct. Ding! So that's, that's good for good. one point. And then Dan is next, right? Yes. Yep. Please play clip two. I was born on the border of Maryland and Pennsylvania. Okay, I feel like I should do the right thing here and tell you that your breast has fallen out of your blouse and I can see all of it. Okay, well, I guess we just <laughs> jumped ahead to date four. It's not the good one either. <laughs> Oof. I knew the first one. I knew this uh, one. I know this one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. Do you want to guess? No. And, okay, the network is NBC. What else was he on? Parks and Rec? That's <laughs> Dave, you know it. 30 Rock. Right. Oh. So do you want to give me one co-star? Tina Fey, the show Correcting. every episode of ever. <laughs> <laughs> that is good for one point. This is for Dave. Thank you again so much for the opportunity to work with you. It has been a tremendous honor, but I have to get back to the Mad Men set. They need to start shooting me on Monday. Not this shit again, Ham. I'm really sorry, sir. I've done everything you asked. It's just they've already written me out of the first four episodes. John, enough of your whining. <laughs> I'm so sorry, sir. God, here come the waterworks. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I know I've seen it, but I can't place it. But just based on context clues, I don't know if this timeline adds up. But is it extras? It is not. Oh, that's what I would have guessed too. All right. The network is IFC. IFC. Uh, Portlandia? Damn it. The increasingly poor decisions of Todd ah, Margaret. Right. That mm. piece of shit. Okay. Right. One, one co star? David Cross. Correct. Ding. 
Wow, so everybody got one point that round. I hope they get easier from here. <laughs> this is why I built in pointer two to these. Okay, back to Sarah. Please play clip four. We are on a media lockdown. Where is Ed with the file? Ed! I'm sorry, Miss Snope. I lost the file. It's gone. Ed, you're a nice guy, but you're the most incompetent person I've ever worked with, and that includes Terry. Jeez, get it together, Terry. Is this Parks and Rec? Yes! Two points. Correct. Ding. One co-star? Uh, Miss Amy Poehler. Correct. Three points. Nice. <laughs> Please play clip five for Dan. Watch out! Ah! Oh! Stop! Don't shoot! Don't shoot! Don't shoot me! Oh, God. Daryl, can you hear me? Oh. We weren't going to shoot you. We come in peace. We come in peace. Whoa. Uh, it is a sitcom, is. I assure you. It is. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I assure you. I mean, what was your guess? Sorry. Oh, I don't know. What else has he been on? Let's it come. Uh, I don't know. Oh. Okay, it's, okay go ahead. <laughs> it's from Fox. Hmm. Oh, I have a guess. From Fox. Fox. Who's <laughs> Family Guy? That's <laughs> not Family Guy. <laughs> Louis has been on Family Guy, which is not in this game. Uh, Dave, what is your guess? My guess is... Um, oh, shit. What was it called? Uh, oh, shit. I forgot what it was called. The the one with um, Adam Scott and Craig Robertson? No, no it's stop. Not that. No, no, it's not that. Ghost, I thought you were going to say the right thing. Or it's The Last Man on Earth. Oh, of uh, course. So, do you know one co-star from that show, Dan? Uh, uh, um, what, oh, God, what is the, uh, God damn it. Well, Will, Will, Will Forte. Yes! All right, clip six, clip six is for Dave. When Arthur Children's founded this hospital, he had an illegitimate son that he kept hidden from the hospital gentry at that time. For I am not Valerie Flame, daughter of Alma and Tellery Flame. I'm Derek Children's. What? Long lost son of Arthur Children's. Derek Children's. Derek Children's. Lucky to be the woman who's the best part of my manhood. The best part of myself. This is one nutty hospital. <laughs> Okay, that was John Hamm in Children's Hospital. Uh, yes, ding ding, two points. Tons of people. Let's go with uh, Lake Bell as one of them. Very good, three points. Ding ding hey. ding. Hey. Okay, clip seven is for Sarah. Gentlemen, gentlemen, please. What I was trying to say is that even though I died violently after a horrific bloody war, it was all worth it to keep this country together. It's true, America was never really right. But in glimmers and moments, we aspired to be. And I believe we will be again. Because we love America. And I know you do too. Wow. Thanks, Abe. 
Oh my god, did you just call me babe? What? No, Abe. Oh, right. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I have no idea. Drug history? <laughs> That's a good guess. Uh, it was it was on Hulu. Hulu? Hulu? And I said was, so it was just canceled. Drunker history? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. This was Sarah Silverman's show, I Love You, America. Oh. Whoops, I gave you a free one. <laughs> you want to give one one co-star? Yeah. Um, I will have no idea, but let's go with my birthday mate, Keegan-Michael Key. <laughs> no, Sarah Silverman was the one that was getting it. She was the only one who was in every episode. Oh, Sorry. really? Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, clip eight is for Dan. McCormick, in 23 years of law enforcement, you're the best officer I've ever worked with. Judgment, initiative, investigative skills. That being said, you're being transferred back to Vice. You're wrong. <laughs> this one I've seen. That's Angie Tribeca. Woo! Two points. <laughs> nice. Do you have one co-star? Oh, uh, Rashida Jones. Yes, three points. Nice. That is the total sum of his contribution to that show, by the way. Yes, it was. I wasn't even, after when I made the clip, I wasn't even sure that he actually said anything. anything, But yes, he did. (laughs) All right. uh, Clip nine is for Dave, and then we'll get a score break. I'd like to play you folks a little song about another crazy preacher you might have heard of. His name was Jesus. He was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people leader. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people leader. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people leader. She looks strange to me. A one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people That probably is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Uh, with uh, Ellie Kemper. Ding, ding. Correct. Three points. All right, let's get a score break. Let's have that score break. Here it is. Here we are at the halfway point. David T. Cole has seven. Dan has five. Sarah has four. And that's Ooh. our mid-game score break, Tara. Back to you. Very close game. All right, back to Sarah D. Bunting for clip 10. Please sit to create profile. Ah! Please log in with name now. Gene? Hello, Gene. Please sit to create profile. Okay, but don't try anything funny. Request for funny activated. Loading joke. You know jokes? Knock, knock. Who's there? Botany. Botany who? Botany good toilets lately. Ha <laughs> ha, I get it! Bob's Burgers? Correct, for two points. Coaster? H. John Benjamin? Very good for three points. Nice. Well done. Clip 11 is for Dan. Not too old because old is gross. Take away from the future. Does it smell like money? It's your dream come true. Call me Don. <laughs> well, there was a dead giveaway clue in there. Is that SpongeBob? Yes. Whoops. Ding ding. Co star? Oh boy. Could not name a cast member on oh, okay. SpongeBob for a million dollars. <laughs> okay. 
Clip 12 is for David Teagle. Second serve now, after killing a man. Not a good sign for Williams. Aaron lost. But remarkably, killing a man and losing his greatest shot at Wimbledon in the number one ranking still wasn't as low as he would sink that day. It's a ser- They're all series? No, some of them are specials. Ah, <sighs> uh, fuck. Um, don't know what it was called. Um, if you can give me the rough description, this one is a bit obscure. I'll... I'll... Okay, this is the uh, Andy, Andy Samberg, uh, Jon Snow... HBO tennis mockumentary um, about professional tennis. (laughs) Yes, I will give you that for two points. It's called Seven Days in Hell. There's another one like this spoiler in the game. Um, So I will I will be similarly lenient with that one. So you get three points. All right. Andy Samberg as well. Yep. All right. Clip 13 is for Sarah. I can't hear you over the music. We asked you politely. You were going to buy. Yes, politely, if you were going to buy it. <laughs> who the fuck are you, ass white? Yeah, ass white. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm the Falcon. President Reagan's hired assassin. Oh. Ass white. <laughs> I'm so glad I got that one. Uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Yes, ding ding. Co-star? Uh, Christopher Maloney. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Clip 14 is for Dan. Cut to the chase. Ow! Anywho, the lead scientist is threatening. Well, he can tell you. <clears throat> Captain Murphy! Please tell me you guys heard that. Ah! Mr. Tunt. Don't worry, he can't see us. No, but I can hear you. Although he can hear us. Yes, I can. And please hear me. For years, decades, I have begged the so-called leaders of the world to stop poisoning our oceans. But they have ignored my pleas, as I will ignore theirs, Mr. Tunt. Unless my list of demands is met in the next... (laughs) 12 hours, at which point I will launch our missiles on Washington, Miami, and New York. Hope everybody has a gas mask. Why do they have missiles? And what did he mean by gas mask? I, you know, that was, I think, maybe, probably, because the missiles are definitely tipped with VX nerve gas. (gasps) Oh my god. Oh, that also sounded oh, like no. Bob's bird. There's so many voices in there. I know. Uh, uh, I don't know. It was on FX. Mm. Oh, Archer. Archer is correct. Oh, Star? I thought that he was just a cast member on Archer. <laughs> oh, um, no, he was only in two episodes. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Jessica Walter. Ding, ding. Good for two points. Uh, clip 15 is for Dave, and then we'll get another score break. Okay. Clip 15 is for me. Scallops 
What are you doing here? Would you like one? Oh, that's a very complicated question. Marty, it's us, Marty. Have a taste. <laughs> you know you love our texture. Stop that, please, all of you. I'm married for Christ's sakes, and these are new shoes. Rockport, nine and a half, extra wide. Ooh, that's right. Enough to keep eight packs of Rolaids in. You know me so well. Hey, why don't you meet us at the dumpster after cocktail hour? You won't regret it. Oh, that's a John Hamm as the scallops from Big Mouth, of course, co-starring <laughs> Correct. Uh, Nick Ding, ding, for two points. <laughs> Co-star? Uh, Nick Kroll. Oh, you said? Yeah. Nick Kroll. Nick. Very good. That's good for three points. All right. Let us get. Everybody's got one question left, so here's the scores. In third place currently with nine points, it's Dan. Second place with 10 points, it's Sarah. And in the lead, it's myself with 13 points. And that's Whoa. the standings. Wow. All right. Please play clip 16 for Sarah. In an unprecedented decision, the UCI has decided to allow the Tour de France to continue with only the five remaining cyclists, the final five, which I'm dubbing the Fab Five. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. These five riders will forever be known as the Fab Five. Not to be confused with the Fab Five, the Michigan basketball team who ultimately became much more famous. All right, this is the other one where I will be lenient in title recall. Um, cool. Benson, I, I don't, I don't know what this is. <laughs> All right. This is also from HBO. It's also from HBO. Oh, I, I just don't know what this is. Sorry. All right. Uh, this is the other one. This is also a Sandy, yep. Andy Sandberg, right? It's like yes, tour to the, something. It's called oh, tour, tour de, de pharmacy. De... It's the, oh, yeah. it's the, the tour de France version of the, Oh, previous the gotcha. tennis mockumentary all right so one co-star i think i just Andy said it samberg <laughs> <laughs> dang good for one point Don't. Yay. all right clip 17 is for dan hey buddy hey buddy can i get one of those with cheese absolutely john ham whoa what is this is it brilliant it's gold solid gold i'm really proud of you thanks can I take a shit in your house? <laughs> <laughs> I believe I saw this one too. Is that Barry? Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> one co-star. Uh, he's with Bill Hader. He is. Good right. job. Good for three points. All right. This final well, question is, is for Dave. <laughs> And despite shooting in the original sunny Southern California locations, John just kept getting colder and colder. You look back at the classic filmmaking moments in history and, and it's all bullshit. You get the chance to work on something like this and you don't want to pass it up. This is living the dream. I'm just so damn cold. John Hamm died that night. <laughs> um... Is this also not a series? It is a special. Uh, is this they the made several of them, though. Greatest TV show in the history of the world. The greatest TV show in history. It's With the, the greatest event in television history. Ah, uh, I'll take that buzz. Uh, Adam Scott. Okay. Very good. Nah. Good for one point. Okay, Dave. So what is what are our final scores? Here at the end of the game, our final scores are Sarah D. Bunting. With 11. Dan Rogge with 12. David T. Cole, 14. Hey! <laughs> David T. Cole. 
Dave. Dave. Thank you, Tara, for another fun, hammy game time. Thank you, Tara. Well, guys, that is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We probed each other about the Aliens in America reboot Roswell, New Mexico, before going around the dial with stops at Good Trouble, Adam Ruins Everything, True Detective, and Project Blue Book. We discovered which Extra Hot Great gang member would carry the day on reality TV, and Dan carried Getting On's This Is About Vomit People into the canon. We crowned winners and losers of the week. And me, me, David T. Cole, was the winner of this week's non-regulation game time. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano. Can I take a shit in your house? (laughs) Sarah D. Bunting. Doctor. And Dan Rogie. Pew, pew, pew. Thanks for (laughs) listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time right here on Extra Not Great. Clean out your desk. You're fired. I understand. Thank you for the literally hundreds of opportunities you've given me. Goodbye, everyone. It's been a great three years. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. A dramatic rescue mission from the depths of space. You're 200,000 miles out. You're in a spacecraft that's dying. 13 Minutes to the Moon Season 2 tells the real story of Apollo 13. There's one whole side of that spacecraft missing. I literally got on my knees and prayed. 13 Minutes to the Moon. We don't have much time. From the BBC World Service. We're not going to the moon anymore. We're going to just be damn lucky to get home. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.